Welcome to the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast, episode 11. Today, I wrap up my conversation with Chris and discussing the passing of his father and the different choices he made while processing his father's death and the things that his father left behind. And next week is going to be a little bit different as I'm going to talk to my friend Jenny about the same topic, but her very different experiences with her own parents passing. So enjoy. And it was paid for. So it was know, a really nice process. Margarita, the, the author of the Swedish art of, or the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning, I'm going to probably butcher her name too, uh, Margareta Magnuson. Magnuson, yeah. Um, it sounds like you did almost exactly what she would recommend, which is fascinating that you found, you came to that independently because right. um, she was talking about having an auctioneer come and help her mother when her mother was at the end of her life choose what to take, what not to take, and they help right. move things uh, because they were making their money on the sale of the items. They charge zero up front. Right. Um, and so it's interesting that you had a very similar experience right. uh, with with that. Um, go ahead. Oh, so so what I was going to say is the company, by the way, my, my father railed, oh, this is gone, or this is, you know, that was his dementia talking. The company was fantastic. You know, right. I don't want to imply of that course. the company was, they, they did everything they wanted to do and that you're dealing with irrational people. And they were great. And I would highly recommend you check them out. It's so, it's so funny because when you were talking about it, I'm like, okay, my life coach brain kicks on immediately. Yeah. And here's, here's the emotion behind what you're saying and the self-judgment and what you're saying and goes, okay, real talk. Even if he was mad at you and not the company, I mean, it's wonderful for your wife right. to be able to use that kind of dissemblage um, exactly. in that moment. Um, but the truth of the matter is, coming to the conclusion, the understanding that, no, you did make the right steps. And even if he was angry at you, exactly as you just said, it's the dementia, it's these other things that are happening, it's things that you can't possibly control or take responsibility for. It doesn't mean we don't. We're human. We care. You, you care about your dad. You want to do the right thing. Something Jenny and I were talking about. Um, Jenny, so you know, is the person I did the first podcast with. Right. Um, she was saying how she has this good girl identity that she's grown up with and good girl translates to good mom or good this or good that and right. so you had the same I want to be a good boy I, I want to be a good son I want to be a good family member I want to do the right thing by my family so this is again part of that emotional experience mm -hmm. as you're trying to go about doing the quote right, right thing, thing unquote right you know for for your family um so you, you're sorry. Did you sit? Oh no! I, I, I think one of the things that you really liked was probably the most. One of the things, if I could project, that you found most touching was the intimate, the actual few moments of death and how, how we approach that. Yes, you. and that's something that, that was I actually think you just really, what I was going to ask about. <laughs> you wanted to do, and so I'm slowly sort of tripping through the process, getting you know. <laughs> uh, um, so my dad had clearly, um, I think. In retrospect, it was pretty clear um, because I called his doctors and talked with him. He he had metat at the end. He was really good until, um, and the drugs were continuing apparently to work for his primary tumor, but he had growth in his secondary tumors, and it had slowed the secondary tumor growth to the point where he had a lot of quality life. Uh, it was 
uncomfortable and painful, and the drugs were had a lot of... They weren't miracle drugs. They had a lot of side effects. Yeah. But eventually, um, the slow growth, it was metastatic, and I'm pretty yeah. sure he had a brain tumor that eventually resulted yeah. in a stroke. And that's that's what actually, you know, hypoxia of his brain yeah. and killed him and slowed him down. But what was really... Um, another hard conversation was that I called up his doctor and his doctor didn't actually uh, necessarily have the, the direct answer for me, kind of alluded to it, but put me down a path with other people, other physicians that he knew that could help me. And I was like, well, what, if, what should I look for physiologically to know that he's coming, you know? And my mom had been saying, he's slowing down. And I, we could tell he was taking more naps and we got a hospital bed for him. And then... Um, he passed well he was the physiological signs for his passing would probably be different than somebody else's but what you'll see is a a, um, a progressive loss of consciousness and then that kind of gives you an idea if you got a couple uh, you know a couple days and then you can start to see changes in respiratory respiration and then you can see a spike in blood pressure and then after that you've got like a couple hours yeah so for me having the conversation about like what physiologically to look for helped me time because um uh, a friend of mine who is for lack of a better word an adoptive brother grew up with me considers my dad a, uh, a second dad um I called him up and asked him to join me, uh, and so my wife and my kids and my, well, for this conversation, I'll call my brother, uh, he he joined us, at, and it was really, really great. So one of the other things that I think shocked um, a lot of people was that near the end, I was like, you know what? My father was a massive extrovert. Uh, we're not going to put him away in the closet. So we actually put the hospital bed in the middle of the living room. And there were kids doing puzzles in the corner. And there were, you know, it was, and there were people coming in and out. And, you know, the, the, the end process, because he had chosen, as part of advanced directive, he didn't want supportive life care. He was happy to have um, palliative medicine, yeah. uh, and I yeah. administered morphine to him at the end. Um, but I eventually got to the point where, after watching the hospice people for enough time, was like, I can do this. Go away. This is a this family. Is, this is family. You know, I don't need you here. And so I, um, I ministered to him at the end, um, and I'm so glad that I did. I took the you know, and I'm not saying that I was, uh, again, everybody could do this, but I'm a former EMT. I also have plenty of clinical experience, so I feel very comfortable with administering the medications and, you know, You're managing. Able to maintain, exactly, you know, manage. And, that's and, what I was And looking there for. are biological things yeah. that happen in the end, like, you know, the person might need suction and, you know, uh, changes in respiratory, respiratory and checking for a moment of death and those sorts of things that I felt very comfortable with that I don't think a lot of other people would. Yeah, and that's again, pretty that unique. could be <laughs> that's pretty unique. That you could easily um, put out to that's another place where you could possibly outsource, like have somebody who you trust and interview it to be there with you and like, okay, this is passing um, to, to sort of guide you through those things. But f so what happened was um, I realized we had realized that he was getting sicker and sicker and his dementia was getting worse to the point where he was complaining about um, his tooth. He was complaining. 
and he was like, my tooth hurts. And he was in his bathrobe, you know, no underwear on, kind of flapping there in the breeze, (laughs) scanning. And I was in the back gardening. He goes, Chris, my tooth is hurting. I'm going to take it out. And I was like, wait the fuck? (laughs) You know? And my wife's like, whatever you're doing, go go take care of your dad. And um, he was like, I need a pair of pliers. I'm going to take it out. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, my teeth are going to fall out. They're going to, you know, it's going to fall out while I'm sleeping and choke. I'm going to choke. And I was like, okay, that's a thing. Like, okay, that... I, I could see that happening, but I was like, so, okay, old man, can I reach into your mouth and check on checking your-, your teeth? You know, and he was like, yeah. He's like, see, it's coming out. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm buying that, but okay. You know, and I was at, there at a minute where I was, I was like, I'm pretty sure he's only got four or five weeks left. Let's say he tears this tooth out, tooth out of his head, or I help him tear this tooth out of his head. All right. Um, could... Is it going to reduce the time he has left? Is it going to give him more joy, a sense of completion? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I went about fucking pliers and we took it out of his You didn't tell me that story. <laughs> and I was like, and, I, and what was so weird is I gave it to him and I was like, okay, dad. You do, and I was like, do you want me? And he's like, I'll do it. You know, and, and he came back oh. and he came back out and with this like oh. tooth oh. in the pliers and he's so proud of himself. He's like, is he? And my wife's just like, Oh my God! Is this what is this foreshadowing of what you're gonna be like at all? Because I've done like minor surgery and stuff on myself. She's like, Oh my God! I can't, you know. And he was just so proud, and I just wanted to be like, Okay, he had that experience. Yeah, he had that experience, and I was there for him, and I helped him with it. Like it was, I I, I don't want to read too much into it emotionally, but I felt like he was like, I, at the end. I'm in control yeah. of this dying body, this mm. you know rattle trap thing that's barely making it across the finish line. But yeah. damn it, I'll be you know fucked if I don't take care of myself, you know. <laughs> and I kept it going like, Dad, we'll make an appointment for tomorrow, right? Yeah. You know, we'll make an emergency. And he was like, No, I'm gonna do this. I and I was this. like, Yeah, you know. And there were a number a number of other situations where he uncatheterized himself, like. You know, with a Foley catheter. Uh, and I was like, Dad, you got it. Like, because th- with these catheters, they fill usually fill a balloon yeah. with water to keep it in. He's right out without. And I was just like, holy People shit, People can't see my face right you know, now. <laughs> and, and, and I got to the point where I was like, hey, are you bleeding? You know, let's let's check. Is there blood? You know, let's check this out. You know, and, and I did, you know, I went and I examined his genitalia and like, hey, I want to make sure you're not going to hemorrhage, you know, here. And it appeared the blood had stopped, you know, and we got to get him recatheterized. And um, but but there's that being present for that, like really helped me like how where is he like this is he's not making logical decisions anymore, you know. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, I can't believe you let your dad do that. I'm like, right. yeah, but, you know, I got to empower like. It's going to happen. It, by this point, it was very clear that it was going to happen within a couple weeks, you know? And, like, I don't know. Give him joy, you know? <laughs> don't try and control the situation, right. you know? Like, I get it. I get so so then finally what did happen was uh, I noticed that his he had sort of met the physiological criterion for death being within the next 12 to 24 hours. And by that time, he was not very lucid um and what was really nice is that he had one of my um children had had a uh, a medical condition and the last conversation i had with him that was lucid 
Because right, I had had other conver- ha- will, will would have had other conversations with him after that at this point, but the last conversation he really just sort of kind of opened his eyes and I was sitting next to him, and uh, I called into work by the way and told them I'm going to be out and went on family medical leave, yeah. um, and I called, uh, uh, and I was there with him and he kind of opened his eyes and he put his hand on me. He said, "How's?" was my granddaughter. I said, she's doing well. He's like, we figured out what the problem was, right? Yeah. And then he kind of like laid back. And that, like, that was, for me, like, there were no deathbed words like, I regret being such a dick, you know, <laughs> which is what everybody kind of hoped for. But it was right. like this, like, I acknowledge that you are a good dad and we're trying to feel, like, it felt good to me to have that opportunity. And again, that's not something you're like, well, we're on the clock, old man, say your thing. And let's, you know, like, I had to give him the space to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And what was particularly nice about that um, was after that, we did have conversations, but I don't know that he knew who I was. You know, like, I told him of my early childhood memories, and then he was talking like, oh, that was a good time. And then he would tell me something, and I think he was thinking, like, that that was his memory. Like, it wasn't clear, like, but but the process, for me, once I got over, like, I'm trying to communicate with him as, like, him, I'm giving up, like, he has already changed, then for me, the process of sharing was giving him comfort. It didn't matter whether they were my memories or his memories, or, and, and we did have this one collective memory of uh, a boat that we had, you know, mm-hmm. uh, growing up, and... How I had stolen the boat and he laughed and he told me stuff that I was like that didn't happen in my memory and I realized he had projected like things that had happened onto his memory mm. and I, he had ended up stealing the same boat when he was my age I mean it's a very old nice boat or it was a, a different boat uh, that he had he had taken but it was it was nice to have those conversations but they weren't what I would say like Chris was talking to his dad right Again, that's that identity thing. You you were you were present. It was so crystal in my head as you were talking. And of course, now that I open my mouth, it's gone. But essentially, you were able to be present with him mm-hmm. without the baggage of it needing to be something. Right. I need to be his son right now. Why doesn't he recognize me? Or it needs to be factual. Or whatever the perceived need and expectation was. Right. You were able to be present with what it was. Right. And 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 I know that that came of over five years of time. It's not like, and from the very moment you knew he was passing, you were like, I have just given all this up and now I'm perfectly zen. Because right. you're talking no. about the anger and frustration yes, and everything else. Exactly. But through this five-year process, here you are at the end of his life and you were able to, having done right. that self-work, be present right. with him and just let it be what it was. And, and one of the things that I, so I was prepared for, when somebody passes naturally without assisted you know, uh, ventilation or anything. There's usually agonal breathing, and it's it can be very difficult. Agonal is like the like, ragged, yeah, sort of, <gasps> and and that can go on for some time, right? And so, it was very difficult because I had my kids there, you know, and my kids though I was like, Pop Pop's passing, and this is part of his passing, and. It, and they were totally like surprisingly cool. They weren't there the whole time, like stare. Like we we, we didn't keep a right. It wasn't death porn, but they were right exactly. But they walked in and out. They were they walked in and out, and they were like okay. And they would like mom says dinner's ready, and I would come in, you know. So it was very much. And, and I remember I know you telling me that when we were at the bar, and I was like, that is the most 
like there are some people who are to hear that and go, you tortured your children. Exactly. But what exactly. I, and but what I had I people hear... who came to me and was like, uh, that was not, you should have. And I was like, to what end? We've got chickens that are going to get what, eaten by coyotes someday. Well, like, why, how are we going to deal with My response was, what a gift. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Because that That's right. develops, when we talk about, when we wrap up, which we're not there yet, but we're, <laughs> I'm sure we're coming to time, yeah. is, um, is to talk about experiences of death and understanding of death and comfort with death. And I think it was a great gift because now your daughters have a completely different understanding and perspective right. on on the presence of death in life. Right. And and to have the conversation about transition, it's still grandma but she's different. Mm-hmm. And she will be different she'll, and she will continue to change, change. Mm-hmm. in significant ways that you will notice. Like Holy crap, if someone had said that to me at 7, hey, I don't know that I would have been as chill as your kids. I mean, let's be real. Um, but you saw her. She's outside. She's just like, okay, you whatever. Have, you have, you, you, your kids are your own, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> um, so they, they've had whatever innate capacity to have that process, but you also offered them a way to to be present to process. I just said that word like 10 times, but to process that moment, to be present in that moment. Um and normalize it in a way that wasn't like I said. It's not death porn. It's, and I'm hoping, it's like, right? It's it is. It's just under, what's it's happening. Acceptance. <clears throat> and and this came back to actually <clears throat> my grandmother telling me about when her grandfather passed. Or was it her grandfather or her uncle? And just it seemed very much like yeah, we, he was in the salon with us, and we had his body there. And but and he passed, and everybody was like having dinner, and like just. And I, I want to prepare because my both my children are going to encounter death again, whether it's in one of our chickens pass away, we have chickens, whether one of our chickens passes away, as I mentioned before, that we're going to have to have that conversation, you know, or yeah. the our neighbor's dog uh, is going to pass, you know, mm-hmm. um, how do we, how, how do we deal with that? And so th- we have pictures and then there were points at which my father sort of made these grasping motions with his hand of course and I was told that this would happen and I'm assuming that he was there and present he may not have been you know it may have been just part of as death happens the brain doesn't all die at once right parts of it die separately and you know so I held his hand and he held my hand and I tried to give him what I felt was the comfort he needed and then there are points at which he was just completely you know out of it yeah and um and then I, I took, I took, uh, a, I basically took my kids out out to dinner because I knew I saw, I saw some physiological signs and knew hey we're within a, a couple hours here to come out for a quick bite, put them to bed, um, and then I sat with him with my mom and held his hand and my mom stroked his hair um, as he took his last breaths and we sort of counted and they and once he passed. Um, I got up like within moments after I was pretty sure he had passed. Um, I got I got my brother and, and uh, my my wife who both were kind of like not. They, they I think they wanted to give me the space, yeah. and then I got them and then we all sat and literally you know he his body was still warm and he was cooling, um, and then there was a moment and it was this undefined moment when he became an it. You know, like the body, like, like it, we, we went from moving him to moving it. Processing. Right. And, and, and we all sort of, and everybody was like, it was this where we all sort of between my mom and I and my brother and my, my wife, we all sort of kind of got up at a different point and went off to our own space to process for a few minutes, uh, or some time. 
But it was the scene that, like, at the end, it, it felt to me like, this is weird, but it seemed like at the end of Ocean's Eleven, once they've done their thing, and they're all sitting around watching the fountain, and they're all kind of, like, nodding at each other, and, like, then they all kind of go off separately. And then um, I came back uh, with my mom, and um, uh, I washed the body, and then um, we sat vigil through the rest of the night for about six hours, and um, then uh, the sun came up, and it was just this beautiful golden light that came through. And I, uh, my mom and I sang a hymn that's very close to us. And we knew my father loved very much. And then um, we called uh, we called the the coroner, and we had a we had a physician on call who came and pronounced legally pronounced death. And then we called the funeral home quietly, probably around seven a.m. Um, and that was. It, I just like and then I just went I made my kids breakfast and then uh, went to school and came back and took a nap and you know it felt very like I wasn't empty you know what I mean I wasn't yeah. fulfilled but it was it just felt like the right way to do things for us mm-hmm. as a family and I'm glad and and again, all the things and benefits and ways and conversations, and it was all a confluence of who the people were involved, the conversations we could have. I recognize not every family could have that conversation. And, and also the, the resources that were available, not every family could have those resources. But, but it was really, you know, it was good. It was a good passing. And I, to this day, I still think of... Um, w- how I would have done something different and there are a few small things but they're they're small small details generally speaking I felt like it was a good passing and it honored him and then of course we had this funeral um, but we didn't here's the other thing we didn't rush into this funeral right like we weren't like oh gosh a week and a half later we have to have this funeral we waited almost five weeks to have his funeral because we wanted to give people notice and process and tell everybody so that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have those awkward sort of you know somebody's oh, passed away and we still right. did, we still did you know have people that that were out of contact and had to find out um but it was i, I think it was just a really wonderful process and so um w- he was cremated per his wishes uh and i had bought a columbarium which is a box inside of the church that i go to regularly so every you know, every other week that I end up going to church, um, I can go acknowledge his box and light a candle for him right there. And the kids are like, oh, yeah, that's where Pop-Pop is. And there's so much more like, <laughs> like they get, they're like, okay, this is normal, right? As opposed yeah. to me stripping away years of, you know, societal expectation. They're like, okay, this is just this is what it is. Way, yeah. And then we separated some of the ashes and uh, into other little boxes. And we sent one to... Um, a place in Mexico that my dad had done a lot of missionary work. He and I went to Alaska um, and did a lot of time in Alaska together. So I'm going to take my mom on a cruise and we'll spread the ashes there. Mm, nice. And then I think uh, there's a special private place that my dad and I went camping, uh, the Trinity Alps, where I'm going to go put some of his ashes. But but I really am like in no hurry to do We did one of them. Next year we'll do another, and I feel like there's no hurry to get his ashes spread. Like his ashes are in their rightful place right now, mm-hmm. right? There's some of my grandfather right there, on, uh, just just exactly. on the shelf over there. Exactly. You know, in a tiny little 
Mm-hmm. Ceramic. Right. And and I don't know whether I'll keep them or send them off to where they go, but I know, I feel comfortable like, okay, when I'm ready, they'll go to where they're going and I don't mm-hmm. feel like there's a rush. So, yeah. sort of the, and, and then to this day still, I, I'll have moments where, you know, I'll miss my dad and I'll call up somebody and be like, hey, you remember how my dad was blah, blah, blah? And they'd be like, yeah, man, that was so crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, I think, I, I suspect... Um, that, how much time do we have? I'll just say it out loud. Okay. For, for, okay. Okay. So, I, I sensed. Well, my brain's doing ten things at once because I'm trying to like, how can I get these last ideas in before we run out of time? And the fact is, we won't, right. because really, this is probably there's the the nature of this conversation. Um, leaves a lot of detail out. And and so, for example, the types of questions that you asked your family, I think would be very valuable for people to hear, um, but that in itself is a half hour, 20-minute um, right. half hour conversation where we're looking at more like five or 10 minutes right now. Uh, so I think that might be something that ends up in a blog or in liner notes or something else you know, for there's us to a, follow right. up on. And, and I think I didn't mention this, uh, Atul Gonde's book, Being Mortal, Nope, Medicine What Matters at the End um, is a really, really good book um, to sort of answer the the questions about like, hey, what do you want the end of your life to look like? And it was a really good book uh, given to me by my mother-in-law. Um, and I, I read it. She gave it to me a while ago and I sort of, it sat there looming and ominously on my bedside for a long time. And then uh, and then finally I read it and it was it was good. I don't know about you, but I got I got plenty of books that stare at me, you know, <laughs> yes. sitting by I, my bedside. I have literally a shelf full of them where I, I bought the book. They, they cast their it and disparagement then. and guilt onto me. Yep, yep. Actually, it's if good. I were only a better pro- like to all those horrible stuff. To the point where I want to start a book club to force myself to read to some read of these books, books right? and share those ideas with others. So that may or may not end up on my website at some point, where I actually want it to be like a public book club. Um, as I read things. But what I think would be great to kind of end our time is to ref- like consider some takeaways for people who might be either in this situation or soon to have this experience. Right. Um, just, you know, two or three really significant things from your experience. And then to close with being a little more explicit about what a dying ritual would look like as opposed to a death ritual. Um, what it means right. to be present for this process. So what would you say are some some really key takeaways for you from this experience? Yeah. Don't... I think reconciliation... Reconciliation doesn't have to be... I think when... If you are with somebody... Whether that is you had a problem with them and you need to reconcile to get to a good place where they're going to pass, it doesn't have to happen before they pass, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a good idea if you do. And that reconciliation with their passing, maybe you weren't around or maybe the person was taken from you traumatically and quickly. Reconciliation doesn't have to be the same as it was. Meaning, I think we all get we strive to get, let's get it back to the way it was. Like, I have this great memory before whatever happened, happened, whether it was a death or an argument or something. Reconciliation, give yourself the space to know that reconciliation doesn't have to, we have to be before the pre, pre-injury pre status. We don't have to get you fully back to pre-injury status. Right. That things will be different 
and that's okay. You just need to get into a space where you're okay, and and give yourself space to process mm. and think about it beforehand. Yeah. Don't, um, don't don't ignore it. And I say don't. And I say don't put it off, but think about it and and have conversations about it. And even if they're awkward, be empowered. Be the one to be like, hey, what do you? What do we want? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But at least you verbalizing it means everybody's aware, and you may not be able to get family. To, to do the small things you can do to armor yourself. That would be the big takeaway, is be gentle with yourself. Fuck anybody who says you're doing it wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and within the resources, prepare as much for the living that are left behind as the dying, which includes, hey, let's maybe not blow all our finances out when my mom's going to have dementia care. And that's not a conversation I had to have with my dad because they were very smart about how and, and pragmatic. But I know that it could have been like, mm-hmm. hey, how much are we going to spend on, you know, this when somebody else might have 15 more years of life, right? Or yeah. 10 or whatever it is. Whatever it happens to be. Um, and then I think the big ritual is, um, would be about putting death in a place where it's not I mean our problem with death is fear right and right. fear of the unknown right? right and and even beyond what happens afterwards it casts a shadow into our expectations and I would say I won't say try and normalize death but don't let it have a stigma like this is a thing that is going to happen, and I can I can be emotional about it, but I can also be pragmatic and empowered, and 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 turn what is arguably the crux of a person's life, right? Like this is at the end, um, into a positive, or not even a positive, but something that you can be at peace with, and whatever that means, and that means deep reflection beforehand. Or if you don't get the opportunity beforehand, um, give yourself space afterwards to really process and be okay with be okay with it. You know, yeah. be okay with needing to process. You don't have to be okay with being dead, having <laughs> somebody dead or being dying. Right. You just, I mean, I, I wish I wish I had a, a summary, and that let's try and find a collective language that will help us communicate better about like like I said, we need a word that says, I am maybe not grieving, but there's a practical sense of stuff that I'm doing right now after this person has passed away, getting ready to prepare the rest of my life, and all those works that I'm doing have profound impact and will change me, and it's like, oh, you're going through this, oh, what is the, there was a, oh gosh, really great science fiction movie that just came out, um, where they meet the aliens, and there's an explosion, one of the aliens dies, and he goes, where's where's your friend? She goes, where's your friend? And he goes, oh, he is in death process now, and you're like, oh, wow, what a weird collective term for this um and i i i'm horrible with the things but it was a really great movie. it's all good uh, i just to from my perspective um having heard more of the story than you were able to tell in this time um huge takeaways for me were one what you just stated which is really being 
the fact that you sought to ask the question, mm-hmm. how do you want the end of your life to look, to your father, one. And then two, as you mentioned earlier, the fact that you then turned to your mom, not literally in the same moment, but and said, what does his end of life look like to you? Mm-hmm. So your capacity to be aware of caring for the dying, as well as those who the are survivors. around, yeah. exactly, around the dying, yourself included, that you took the time to process that and be with that, that you have a unique perspective as an anatomist, you have a different relationship with death, and that you were able to translate that into having your father's deathbed for lack of, I mean, for an intentionally extreme term, your father's deathbed in the middle of your living room while you lived your lives mm-hmm. with it present. There's a, a term in the Toltec practice um, of the, or the idea of making death your friend or making death your advisor. The idea that death is always with you. With you. Look over your left shoulder and there's death. So when you have a question, ask death. Mm-hmm. Of, about what's happening with your life, what's happening in the future. Right. This kind of this idea of it being, of normalizing it. To me, the idea of looking over my left shoulder and doing that terrifies me and I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. But there's wisdom to be gained. Right. But there's wisdom right, right. to be gained. But that's, I am a product of bo- both my own person- personality as well as our culture. And so for me, that's terrifying. Yeah, like, so you talk about the cadaver lab, it's like, Google wall, that's actually, <laughs> oh, I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up, when I was, was when I was three, someone said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a doctor, a teacher, and a veterinarian. One out of three is not bad. Right. Um, <laughs> teacher, uh, of course, I was a massage therapist, etc. But um, that's what put me off. What put me off was the idea of the body not being integral. The idea mm-hmm. of cutting into a body um, was like, no, I can't do that. Um, I can work on bodies, but I, the, the, I, that type of trauma tra- was trauma for me. That was my association. The other thing that I take away from this is your idea of acceptance of what is happening, not forcing an expectation of what it should be, um, but being present with it. Uh, something that we didn't really talk about was the emotional journey from dad, you're an asshole (laughs) to how you actually reconciled and the fact that you also had to navigate his dementia. So you reconcile, but then you don't Mm -hmm. because the dementia erases Mm -hmm. the experience, the one-to-one experience, the reconciliation. Then you have the reconciliation within yourself, but you're dealing with a belligerent person. Right. So your ability to be present with that, I also found to be quite profound. Um, and then just lastly, this idea that you brought up that we hadn't talked about before, explicitly common language, um, having words like that they have in Denmark and elsewhere, like hukulik and things like that. Just, we have a word that means sitting vigil with your dying. (laughs) We have a word that means, you know, English is an odd language in it that so, has so many layers that we, we don't tend to smash those things together and have something, but it's not something that's present. Just like in our medicine, acute care is primary. Mm-hmm. In, in our medicine, right. chronic care is not primary, and chronic care tends to be how how to be slightly less miserable. Right. Um, and, and it just, it's a... Geriatric fun. medicine isn't, should be keeping you functioning healthy and then a quick end, as opposed to let's prolong your and suffering. protract your suffering. Exactly. As though, you know, because I could hold my breath the longest... I won. <laughs> you know, you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, exactly. My, my body's freaking out, but I held my breath the longest, so I win. I think that's great. That's hilarious. Um, so thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Uh, I, I anticipate that 
we're going to have some follow-up conversations uh, on or off. You know, I don't didn't expect us to do a follow-up, but maybe we choose to do a follow-up. But certainly I think um, maybe we do it over the phone so you don't yeah, have to trek sure. all the way down here. But certainly I think it will be valuable to um, some of the details that we weren't able to get to, just like the types of questions that you asked. You gave so many excellent resources. Thank you for that. I'll make sure those all end up in the liner notes and in... Um, and if someone's watching this in, in video format, it's really going to be a slideshow with audio. <laughs> um, they will have seen some of those books. So definitely want to follow up with you and, and get all that, capture all those those things. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It was like, shake your hand, even though no one can see it. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. My guest today is the lovely and wonderful Jenny Ward, who is a teacher... A, a life coach, a parent, a yoga teacher, uh, all-around badass, uh, <laughs> who I am so happy that I get to hang out with again uh, today uh, for a different topic, uh, being the wrongness of death. So hi, Jenny. Hi. <laughs> so I thought to start, it might be good um, kind of talk about, I don't know, overview of the loss of your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple minutes and... Let people know kind of what the backstory is on that. Yeah, um, it's so funny because when you lose when you lose someone, you forget how long ago it was. Mm. Um, it's sort of an int- but it's it seems so recent at the same time. Yeah. So I was just thinking, like, when did my dad die? And it's like the years I can't really pinpoint when he died. Probably five years ago, but my dad died of cancer. First, um, he was diagnosed and passed away maybe eight or nine months later. Um, oh, wow. quick. It was quick. It felt like eternity um, in terms <laughs> of the pain that he went through. And then my mom was diagnosed right after my dad died. Mm. And she passed away about a year after that. So they passed away in the time frame of two years around this. Like, you know, I lost them in two years, basically. So I went from burying my dad to going to see my mom and they lived far away from me. So I had to fly there. And, uh, so I feel in hindsight sounds weird, but I was already on, like, I was already numb. Mm. Like I lost my dad and I was still on that energy level. So I feel like my mom, I kind of flew right into my mom. It was sort of like, Oh, I know how to do this. That sounds crazy, but um, I think if my mom was five, six, seven years later, I would have been like jolted back into, but it felt like I've already in the pain. I might as well just keep going sort of. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I already knew the script. Yeah. And it sounds like I'm removed from it because I I was removed from it. Yeah. My goal was to take care of my parents and, and to basically watch them die. So that was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. yeah. Like the show? Consider subscribing through my Patreon at patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. You'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards. Want more? You can also find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lifecoachingwithryan, where I play some games and I continue the conversation. I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore 
life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.